welcome to the 161st episode of Reverse Sweat Radio. I'm Andy Ryan. And I'm Toby Chad. Happy 72nd birthday to the great Antiguan Andy Roberts. The opening sentence of his Crick Info biography reads simply, Deadpan and Deadly. Welcome to the podcast that, when batting, doesn't mind facing the first of those qualities, but has always been considerably less keen on the second. When it comes to um, writing those kinds of um, biographies, there seems to be two approaches, one of which is the kind of quite dry, quite formal style and then there's the other one where you get the sense that whoever you know got the gig of writing Andy Roberts's biography kind of poured themselves a glass of whiskey and thought right let's get into it and that's when you get the sentences like deadpan and deadly opening it the, up the, rather than Andy Roberts was born in you know this date at this it, time yes yeah, so what you're saying is we need Crick Info's writers to be to sit there more often with the whiskey yeah, the, the other thing you whiskey. get sometimes is ones that are hopelessly out of date so you, mm. <laughs> you look mm-hmm. up a player and it says so and so is hoping to make their debut or yeah, something yeah and exactly like, and yes. they've and they've already made you know three test centuries um so in this episode what have we got coming up um you've been reading an Australian newspaper um and I've been reading some MCC press releases uh I'm going to be uh, talking about taking us back to 2003 because it's been 20 years since a remarkable test match between Bangladesh and Pakistan and I thought it was a test match worth reliving and we are going to be reviewing a book that am I right in thinking you got this book as a Christmas present is that how we came across it? I did yes I got a kit for a Christmas so this is um, Cricketing Lives a characterful history from pitch to page uh, May uh, published in May 2021. So, Ricky Ponting, you've been reading The Age. Is this the Melbourne Age? The Melbourne It, it is. Well, actually, yeah. I, I, yeah, I was sort of hoping you might be able to advise me on where, where does The Age sit in the sort of Australian newspaper pantheon? Well, it's the it's the partner paper of the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, ah. So it's a it's an, an independent independently owned owned. Um, paper but based in in melbourne it's a it's a melbourne based paper well well uh, you know we we all we're always, always supposed to moan about twitter and you know the damage of social media but I, I do continue to find it a useful source of bits and pieces that i wouldn't otherwise see and this mm. article was linked to here it's an article by daniel brettig and it's about ricky ponting's proposals to reform the funding of test cricket i will quote briefly because that's probably the easiest way to summarize ponting's thinking I think the obvious answer is trying to find a way for the ICC to fund some of these series. So it's not just the big ones playing against themselves because these guys right now, the West Indies and South Africa, probably need the money more than ever. So you would think the governing body would get involved and somehow try and help them out. So hang on, so this is that, so it's a central pot of money that funds test series rather than it having to be funded by, I actually don't really know how it works at the moment, so, some so kind of hybrid like, of the two teams playing have to kind of cough up all of the money to actually fund that series, and the ICC kind of remain financially neutral, as it were. Yeah, so it's, well, I, I think we probably first have to say this is the start of a plan rather than a full plan, but I think what it would be a move away from is at the moment the big thing is the home... Um, nation's tv rights tend to be sort of a big big part of it and in reality the big imbalance at the moment is between the fact that you know england australia india can succeed in selling their tv rights for big money the other countries can't um and some sort of central pot to either support this um yeah or in some some way supplement it is, is sort of ponting suggestion and i think what i found heartening about this is 
it's not just what lots of us do, which is, you know, the hand-wringing about the health of Test cricket. Oh, the West Indies aren't what they were. Oh, God, you know, South Africa aren't taking Test cricket seriously enough. It, this is the start of a plan. And that, it, I, it needs more work, clearly, but it's the start of a plan. But secondly, I thought it really matters that this is Ricky Ponting saying this because he's obviously mm, hugely respected mm. as a player, now as a pundit. And crucially, he's from one of the countries that will need to give ground to make this work because for any reform of Test cricket to work, Australia, England, and probably most important of all, India, are going to need to see that sacrificing some finance in the short term is necessary for the long-term health of the game because otherwise they're going to run out of decent opponents to play. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I never really had um, Ricky Ponting down as a as a socialist, um, which I suppose in, in many ways is what is, is what this plan is. But the yeah, idea yeah. that the ICC should actually stop just saying, oh, market forces will take its, you know, will, will take their force and will take the game in a particular direction. And that's what the audiences want. And we're going to put structures in place to kind of support that. And of course, the IPL has been the most, you know, significant um, child of that, of, of that thinking. This idea that the ICC should actually sort of shape the game more proactively is, I suppose, a call to arms in some sense for those 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 bureaucrats who otherwise one wonders a lot of the time what they actually do yeah well and it, i think it will be really interesting because these calls are getting louder and louder but ultimately um i mean you're right the icc itself plays a role but ultimately it will come down to the big figures in those big three countries if england india australia want to do a deal there'll be a deal mm. and of um, course they're not going to want to do a deal though i mean that's the, the the nature of the the beast and that's where the icc needs to you know grow a pair to use a phrase yeah and actually I mean, get, kind of get on and get on and do something because those those three three nations have never shown genuine genuine mm-hmm. structural interest in furthering the causes of of cricketing nations beyond their beyond their own yeah i mean this this needs this needs discuss uh, i mean this is a big this is a big topic that an episode that's up. twice this long yeah. but I, I guess the one driving force and you will have seen this sort of front and center in australia this summer is you know the more times you get a series that's a horrible mismatch the more time you think the pressure for this rises or the alternative does become this weirdly sort of reduced test cricket where the big three just well, play each other and perennially. and after you know after the, the ter- i talked on this podcast about the the terrible disappointment of the west indies series and then indeed the terrible disappointment of the south african series that we've just had here during this this australian summer at the end of the west indian series there are a whole lot of people and some of them relatively credible just saying maybe the west indians just shouldn't be playing test cricket anymore maybe they just yeah. need to take a backward step for a while and that Although is the as one you say thing- the other direction in which this potentially yeah. goes although of course the one defense of both the west indians and the south africans is if you looked at the last ashes you'd be like well should england be playing test yeah, well, so, 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 very <laughs> but, um, so very true so actually ricky ponding's piece quite apart from anything else is going to get discussions happening hopefully and get people talking in the same way that this has raised yeah. a whole lot of you know issues right now I think it's exactly that. Sometimes you need to sort of throw a big old pebble into the water and, you know, set off some of these waves and maybe Ponting's done that. Um, now, uh, I found that on Twitter. The other thing you can find on Twitter pretty much any day of the week is an absurdly over-the-top and unnecessarily emotional debate about the Mancad. Mm. And you've been reading what the MCC has to say about yeah, it. Yeah, I've been... I'm, I'm glad you said that it's kind of absurdly over-the-top because I've been pretty bored by the whole thing in a, in a number of different ways. Um, but I was interested when the MCC came out with a press release to clarify the laws and they had a whole document with some accompanying FAQs. And I thought, oh, I'll give this, this a read. I'd be interested to see the way that the MCC approaches this and I was actually absolutely 
kind of flabbergasted by the tone that they took in this release, which was basically to say that anyone who ends up getting mancatted is is in short just a bit just 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 a bit stupid. Um, they say that their you know the 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 law and the MCC's interpretation of the law has quote been consistent for some time, and that the law has been interpreted the same way for the past six years without much misunderstanding. There's this kind of constant sort of condescending tone that that comes across, which suggests that you're just a fool if you've um, if 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 you if you've seen it any other way. There's then this sentence, uh, this paragraph where they say. The habit of backing up can be a subconscious ritualistic one, with a player wandering towards the striker's end with only a vague awareness of the bowler's movements. When backing up is a more focused and deliberate act, the non-striker only leaves the sanctity of the popping crease once the ball has been released or having accepted the risk of being run out. If all non-strikers deployed this very simple technique, <laughs> there would never be another such dismissal again. Which just it just seems to me to completely underline so much is of what is wrong in terms of the sort of hierarchies of of cricket because when you actually think about people often in limited overs games getting getting mancatted it's not that that it's a kind of subconscious ritualist i mean what even is a ritualistic well, I, decision I, I don't want to go it's, too far down can something be both subconscious and ritualistic surely if something's ritualistic if i understand what ritualistic means you know you're performing a ritual though doesn't that require a degree of consciousness well and and also <laughs> these are often batsmen trying to steal a march so that they can take quick singles in a game that now mm. comes down to millimeters like we watch you know on bloody hawkeye we have you know we we do watch the ball by millimeters and here a batsman saying well if i can get an extra few millimeters or inches into the run maybe i've got a better chance of making this of making this run so the mcc saying it's just people need to read the rules properly and then it'll never happen again seems to me to be a complete misunderstanding of what's actually going on the other thing i have now turned into someone who has who who emails the um rules at mcc.org.uk email address because the other thing that you've I was got puzzled to that by, stage in life have you too i have i mean i'm very proud of it um the um and i'm very comfortable with that actually um i wrote to them because i wasn't quite sure what they meant by the sanctity of the pop increase because particularly you know like the sanctity is in kind of sort of sort of holiness I know, I know what they mean by the, san- the word the san- not just what, safety safety or sanctuary i think they mean sanctuary but it just again just typified for me the fact that they decided that they had to use a word which is clearly highfalutin there's actually nothing about this that actually seeks to build understanding everything about it simply seeks to further establish the kind of highbrow supremacy and intelligence of the mcc there's nothing that's actually designed for cricketers to use to further their understanding of the game and i just think that's ridiculous from the people who claim to be the the keepers of the laws the one thing i would say in their defense is despite the tone i agree being um a mixture of off and bizarre um you simply can't end the mancad debate with a clarification on the rules because as if you want to and i don't recommend it but if you want to spend a bit of time down this twitter rabbit hole it instantly becomes a moral thing on both sides um mm. and the, the strength of feeling is genuinely astonishing i, I mean i as someone who, who cares and loves about cricket I, I just can't quite bring myself to you know bring Care. that level of emotion to this debate yep yep and it, and it's also not about it's not it's not about a, a rule or a law it's actually about the way in which people play the game it goes back to that thing and again this is why it's odd that the mcc have written like this it goes back to this thing that we call the spirit of cricket and the mcc don't really contribute 
proactively towards a debate about the spirit of cricket when they use language like this. From the archives, and in this episode, Toby is going to take us back to 20 years to when then-Test new boys Bangladesh were hunting for their first Test victory. So it's 2003, and Bangladesh have been having a pretty hard time of it. Um, they've lost 20 out of their previous 21 tests, and as your introduction suggested, the other one was a draw. Um, so they're facing out to Pakistan in a three-test series. Pakistan themselves are not in not in great form. They've been eliminated in the group group stages of the 2003 World Cup that had happened earlier that that year. Um, Waki Yunus had just been replaced as captain with Rashid Latif, um, but despite this there was obviously a real sense that they were going to have no trouble at all um, dispatching Bangladesh. Now just before I go on, do you remember this game? Because I I must have known about it at the time but actually when I was going back and, and reading about this there was a lot in this game that was new to me which is why I thought we should kind of shine shine a light on it but is it, is it a game that looms large in your memory? No, similarly sort of reading you know some of your notes on it it, it, it was it, it wasn't triggered I, I, I kind of remember it's very sad but I sort of have a broader memory of the opening years of Bangladesh Test Cricket and just endless debate about whether this had been too soon that that's my yeah. kind of um, yeah. broader memory of the time yeah. so um the series started as one would expect it the first two tests were pakistan um, victories and then they go on to multan for multan for the for the dead rubber at the end um bangladesh win the toss they choose to bat the pitch is a bit green um which is going to be crucial to the outcome of this match as we'll see um and they make 281 in the first innings they then bowl pakistan out for 175 so that's the first time ever in their 21 tests that they've bowled out a side for under 200 um muhammad rafiq is the the man who takes the wicket he, ta- he takes five for for 36 again a sign of that that green pitch um Bangladesh are in a good position, but they squander that advantage at the beginning of their second innings by losing four wickets with just 40 runs on the end on the board. And this is at the end of day two, so there's a lot of time left in this in this match. Um, day day three starts with controversy. Um, after Ayla Kapali um, edges to to Latif, Latif claims the catch, um, but the replays clearly show that he's dropped it with his back to the umpire. He's dropped it and then collected the ball again, seemingly in a way that he would have known. You know, sometimes you kind of there's a fumble and you're not quite sure whether the kind of fielder has noticed that they've sort of fumbled it, as it were, or there's an element of doubt. It's absolutely clear that he must have known that he's um, that he's that he's that he's dropped it. Um, he then goes and consults with his senior players and says, apparently, after the, after the fact, he said, I consulted with my senior players and they told me that we should still claim the catch, so the umpires have given it out. Um, and so they don't actually say, let's call the batsman back, which is odd given that he's actually the captain who's actually <laughs> who's actually dropped yeah, the catch. Um, you wonder what the team dynamics were because in comparable situations like this, it, it's the captain's call, isn't it? Do you withdraw the appeal? Do you... so? Whether there was a sense that he was not, he was just not actually in a position of strength in the team. For Latif, it it it, end, it, it ends badly. Spoiler alert: um, he's banned for five ODIs subsequently, and this is actually his last Test match. So he certainly gets his kind of come up and um, out of out it, of it's, this. 
it's interesting looking back because there's a part of you that says oh well we've got drs now so this is all easier but it isn't we still it seems to be the one thing not quite the one thing i'm sure there are others but it's one of the things that even in the age of improved technology these things are still controversial you know it, there, was, there was an incident in the last australia south africa test this yep. did did they didn't they catch it is still um still causing problems yep. for modern modern video cameras so um, Bangladeshi wickets um, keep keep falling. They make um, 154 altogether. Luckily that they lucky that they made that um, that they had that advantage from the first innings. So they've left Pakistan with 261 to chase. And I think about two and a half two and a half days. Um, Pakistan come out of the gates first in their final innings in this chase. Um, before Manjul Islam takes takes two wickets. Yunus Khan is then run out for a duck. Um, and Pakistan are 99 for five, and Bangladesh are very much um, smelling victory. There is only one person standing in their way, in the way of this victory, and that person is the formidable, formidable Inzamam Ulhaq. Um, so by the end of day three, Pakistan are 148 for six. They've got two days left, four wickets in hand, and 113 needed, and it's all, all set up for a spectacular finish. So... Inzi, Inzamam Ulhaq, um, very much known as one of the most talented batsmen in the game at this point, mercurial but talented. Um, he'd had a very bad World Cup earlier that year. He made just 19 runs uh, across the tournament, I think in five in five innings. Um, he, um, in the first two tests of this series, he'd made just 80, 80 runs across his, his four innings. And there had been discussions behind the scenes after the second test, after Pakistan had won the series, about whether he should retire. Um, but there is a, a decision made that he should come and he should play in Multan in front of his home in front of his home crowd. The big question at this stage is who is going to stay with him in the Pakistani chase. So he builds a 32-run partnership with Saklan Mushtaq. Um, Mushtaq is then is then caught behind. Um, Shabir comes in. He's dropped at second slip on zero. He and Inzamam go on to build a 41-run partnership before Shabir is bowled. So clearly that that drop is going to prove costly in such a low run chase. Um, Umar Ghul comes in, scores 205 for eight, 56 runs needed. Inzi's on 89. I'm enjoying, for the sake of uh, balance in our podcast, that Inzamam Hack is getting a feature about his batting brilliance because... This makes me recall that I think the only other time we've done a From the Archives on it was about an occasion where he waded into the crowd looking for a fight in a one-day international. So I'm glad. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the the Darrell hair, um, the Darrell hair moments with the oh um, dear, with the game being <laughs> forfeited as well. So you're right. He's someone who is not. Um, he is remembered for a variety of things and possibly not often enough for his quite extraordinary, um, extraordinary batting. Um, but also his quite extraordinary running, as we will see in this in this game. So forty. 49 runs left to get and Umagul has a um has a, a reprieve he's about to get run out um Rafiq is trying to complete um the run out but his feet hit the stumps and knock the bales off the stumps before the ball gets to the gets to the stumps it's one of those kind of slightly um clownish mistakes that no 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 fielder wants to um not want wants to make it's also one of those things that unfortunately happens to teams that aren't winning, isn't it? It's like there are teams that are sort of on a poor run 
that just cannot get out of their own way to complete a win and they do mad things like you know kick the stumps rather than run someone out well and this one was particularly bad because it very much looked like the ball was going to go on to make a direct hit on the stumps and the fielder got in the way caught the ball trod on the stumps failed to make the run out um so it sounds like the kind of thing i do on a sunday morning um in the same over now going back to our previous discussion about man cutting in the same over rafiq opts not to man cut goal goal oh my goal there's a clear opportunity to do that um and he decides that it's uh, against the spirit of the game and so he doesn't on that on that instance so the result is a 52 run partnership for the ninth wicket um interestingly just going back to reading some some interviews after the fact um some discussion from the bangladeshi players about whether they were right or not to um to mancad omar gul they all actually say with hindsight that it was the right decision not to do it because it actually is as the kind of minnows it would have quotes made life more difficult for them they didn't want to seem that they needed to resort to that in order to to win to win this game so the Bangladesh is desperate. They're warned by the umpires repeatedly for excessive um, excessive appealing. And there's this kind of hectic energy, um, all sorts going on in the game at this point. Um, so um, Inzimum, <laughs> renowned for running people out throughout his career, um, he runs out Umar Gul with the score on 257. It's a horrible run out. Um, he scored, Inzi has scored 74 of the last 93 runs, but he's not going to be forgiven unless Pakistan get over the get over the line for this for this quite ridiculous run out. Um, Yasir Ali then comes in to bat at number 11. He's a teenager. He's playing in his first ever first class game, not even his first ever test match, his first ever first class game. Um, and after the game, he reflected on the fact that he was actually napping on the balcony because he just thought it was so impossible that he'd ever have to have to go in and, 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 and do that. And then he says, when things were crumbling, the drowsy feeling went away and it was like the world was about to end. I was hiding in every corner thinking that this can't be possible. And why on earth did it coming on my head? I didn't want to go through those tough moments, but it had to happen. <laughs> I don't wish to take a shot at Yasir Ali's professionalism, but given the context of the game, it, it seems um, excessively It would be hard to nap. Well, and, and also just excessively confident to believe that you're not going to win. I would say, given the context of the game, and of course um, the joyful but 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 you know sometimes anarchic history of Pakistani cricket, the belief that this would all be smooth and comfortable and you could sit there napping seems um, uh, somewhat somewhat foolhardy. Yeah, totally. So anyway, he's out there in the middle. Um, he plays the first the first three balls as as dot balls. He then takes a single. Inzi's on strike, and he hits a uh, hook shot. A swivel, a swivel pull shot um, to hit the winning boundary, and Inzi ends up unbeaten on 138 off 232 um, balls. Um, it's interesting again reading some interviews with the Bangladeshi players looking back at this 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 game um, that they're very analytical about what went what went wrong, and that they actually spend a long time believing they could bowl out the tail enders and just leave Inzi at, at, at one end, but in fact that just allowed him to accumulate um, accumulate runs. Um, for them, they had to wait another two years till 2005 against Zimbabwe um, to win their first their first ever Test match. Um, for Pakistan, perhaps the kind of greatest outcome of this was the revival of of Inzi's um, career. So Latif is banned for that catch that he didn't take, but but claimed. Um, Inzimam replaces him as captain and stays at the helm until um, 2007. As a little footnote, this game was also the debut of um, Salman Butt, um, which obviously becomes a much unhappier story. When his test career ends in 2010 after the spot fixing scandal.
D-Review, and for this episode we've been reading Cricketing Lives, A Characterful History from Pitch to Page. It was published in May 2021, and it's by Richard Thomas, who is the head of the Department of Media and Communications at the University of Swansea, where one of his research specialisms is the coverage of elections. Um, There's a line in his uh, author bio that tells us that from his office near the beach at Swansea University, he is not only within arm's reach of the sea, but only a cricket ball's throw from the famous old ground where Gary Sobers hit six sixes on a bright August day of 1968. So the book tells the story of the world's greatest and most incomprehensible game through those who have shaped it. And Andy, you got it as a Christmas present. How effusively are you going to be, and genuinely, are you going to be thanking the person who gave this to you as a Christmas present? Very effusively so it was my uh, brother-in-law's partner Layla who went into her local branch of Waterstones and apparently asked them what book she should get for a uh, cricket lover so there you go that'd be interesting that this was what the uh, the the good folk of Waterstones Mm. um, went for Um, sort of as promised but I mean I was a little bit unsure about what we were going to get because it sort of sounded like a sort of canter through test cricket history and I thought well, you know, we've done a we've done a lot of sort of cricket history books before and I, I kind of was trying to work out quite what we were in for um, and in many ways this is a sort of selection of lots and lots of pen portraits of cricketing figures mm. including not just the great but also just the very interesting um, and I think in many ways Thomas's great skill is in the choice of the facts, stories and quotes to capture these figures. And the form sort of forces you to make those decisions. So obviously, if you're doing a, you know, 300 page biography of someone, you can include everything. If you're doing a page, two pages, you've got to be really try to get the essence of that person in a few. And I I think Thomas um, does that rather well. And I think because me and you read an awful lot of cricket history for this podcast inevitably you come across lots of stories where you're like oh yes I've you know I'm familiar with that one but actually I would say that there was an awful lot here that was new to me and perhaps most impressively led me to think again about figures who I had already formed um formed a pretty strong Mm -hmm. um opinion on what it's was also, your take on this sort it, of approach? And this, it, it, yeah. Well, I, th- I think there are a couple of things there. One of which is it's actually quite nice in a single volume to have all of these kind of mini biographies of different cricketers brought together because you're right. Um, often we have read the full biographies of these people, but to have it in a kind of shorter format is quite a nice thing to be able to kind of dip into and dip out of. I actually think also for people who... Um, don't have the time or the interest necessarily to sit down and read the 200 page biography of some of these people actually having these sort of sort of shorter snippets is 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 really helpful i did think that it was interesting that um he basically structures the book chronologically you mentioned earlier was it going to be a cricket history book and it becomes a bit of a cricket history book told through the kind of characters and personality of the of the players and he does do a very i think um good job of connecting the individuals to the age and to the um, kind of development of developmental stage if you like of, of, of cricket during which they were playing and through that you do get a kind of glimpse of the broader game so what was nice about it it didn't just feel like a series of you know sort of short pen portraits of individual players it felt like it was kind of stitched together in a much more interesting narrative um, than that I also like the fact sorry just to finish that I also like the fact that he does know how to um, 
kind of um, put an anecdote down and and move on or sort of put a fact down and move on. There were times where one might have been tempted to kind of dive deeper into something, but the pace is nice, actually. It's something you can sit down and get through quite um, kind of quite quickly. It doesn't feel like it gets bogged down. Yeah, and, and I, I think you, you've got through that to, to one of the things I wondered about this book when I started, which is I've sometimes referred on this podcast to a sort of a dipper of a book, you know, one of those yeah. that you don't sit down and read in a go, but you kind of pick up. And and I wondered at the start, I thought sort of, is this is this a dipper? Um, I think actually it, it can be both. I think you could get a huge amount of pleasure from doing that, but actually it runs, as you say, very well as a pacey narrative. And um, I think he handles he handles the re- you know clearly a huge amount of research, um, but he has a you know it's the sort of voice of a storyteller, a raconteur rather than a rather than an academic. And, well, and I can see going forward that I could use this as a reference source if I'm trying to think um, you know for example let me check that on Headley Verity but I think it's also there's enough sparkling prose here that you could say well actually let's just dip into this for fun the that's actually something where I did have some um slight reservations about the structure of the book which is and I was reading it on on Kindle and that may have made a difference for this but he quotes so much there is there Mm. is barely a sentence that goes past that doesn't have quotation marks in it and I found that kind of quite distracting because when I see a quotation mark I assume that I need to know who has said that that quotation and sometimes so I was constantly going to the end notes and sometimes it was like oh that's interesting that it's that person because you see that it they might have a particularly subjective take on something but other times it was just a quote to tell us something very kind of um uncontroversial about a about a player and i wonder whether there were times where just using the authorial voice would have done that mm. a little bit kind of a little a little bit better that was that was my, my kind of one reservation about the it, the structure it's a really, of it it's a really interesting point because sometimes he does tell you who said it to make a point so i, I can't remember the exact example but at one point i actually i think at, at one point he quotes the new york times talking about jim lakers you know 19 wickets and obviously the point there is like you know what on earth is the new york times even the new york times but, yeah. but i think you're quite you're quite right sometimes when it's sometimes when when the source uh, my guess is that thomas is trying to trade off it's that balance between flow and sort of academic rigor mm. so he's sometimes mm. thinking by not telling you who said it it allows it to sort of flow merrily along but but i think you're quite right that in certain situations that can perhaps be a bit disorienting but, the, but there were some things where you just didn't need we just didn't need to hear that from someone else it was quite obvious like you know Sh- shane Warne. i mean this isn't an action example but shane Warne was one of the greatest bowlers of all time we don't need to have one of the greatest bowlers of all time in quotation marks because mm. someone else has said that just say that as the author and let's you know and let's yeah. move on with it so we've talked about the fact that this is a book full of kind of stunning stunning anecdotes um what were some of your favorites i, I mean there's a huge amount here i think um sort of going back to the earlier point around you know someone like archie mclaren who i've come across in our in our um, reading before i enjoyed the fact that he was as a limousine salesman this is later in his career by all accounts what he tried to sell to his customers rarely coincided with what they wanted or needed <laughs> which I, I enjoyed um and i thought also quite a way of sort of um you know pricking the pomposity of a figure yeah. who i think is seen that way um in terms of figures who i didn't know lionel tennyson if i ever did know about him i i'd forgotten and his whole thing is wonderful but it's hard to beat his death 
He breathed his last at a hotel in Bexhill-on-Sea, the maid finding him sitting up in bed, cigar in mouth, with the times opened at the racing pages. Um, you know, a, a good death. All what a way all. to go. Yeah, I, I enjoyed... Um, I can't remember what his actual name was, but E.M. Grace, one of W.G. Grace's... Um, brothers a very fine cricketer in his in his own right um who kept a record of everyone who dropped a catch off his bowling and sent them a card on the anniversary of their drop to remind them (laughs) (laughs) of 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 that particular dropped catch i thought was um i thought was was quite a good idea that i might adopt myself point of view that's such a dedicated feat isn't it it's 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 a it's a kind of dedicated grudge, isn't it? It really shows how much you care, um, how much you're not moving on with your life if you're if you're doing that. Um, I also enjoyed um, George Gunn, who actually I don't. I mean, I kind of know about uh, about him as a figure, but again, this book kind of revealed a bit a, a bit more. Um, but George Gunn lecturing Neville Cardus on how cricket needs 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 to be more entertaining, um, and then going out and scoring a four hour forty eight just for the simple, you know, just just for the fun of it, um, because he um, because he could. Um, do you think th- we we talk sometimes about whether books are kind of appropriate or useful for people who don't necessarily know cricket and are sort of looking for an introduction to the game and its its, its history? Do you think this works on on that basis? Well, I I certainly think it has aspirations to because I noticed there's a um, sort of intro at the start defining key terms. Um, Does it work? I mean, I think if you weren't into cricket, you still probably could get quite a lot out of some of these um, some of these portraits. I don't know whether I find it just very difficult to put my I sometimes find myself difficult to put myself in the position of an interested person new to cricket and my, my instinct is still to sort of say that there's probably still too much detail here for um for someone coming what, what, what do you think i know we've had this debate on on other books recently and i think it, it can just sometimes be hard to to conceptualize to, to get yeah, your yeah. Brain i think it's i position. think it's the kind of thing where someone who knows cricket i'm always struck there are quite a lot of people who know cricket but don't actually know very much about cricket history beyond the mm. you know fact that bradman scored a lot of runs um i think for that audience there's a lot here that would be really relatable because a lot of it is about just the experience of being on a on a cricket pitch and 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 playing the and playing the game and these kind of wonderful pictures of the characters some of these amazing characters as well so um Mm. i do think it has an audience beyond and it's interesting to hear you know waterstones going back to the beginning waterstones recommending it because actually that indicates that they wouldn't just be you know um, recommending it to people who were sad enough to spend their lives, you know, hosting yeah. podcasts and, and think, doing things like that. I think the tone helps as well because you know we review plenty of the books on this podcast that um, are trying to make a point about a certain aspect of the game. Or I, I feel like I, I might be t- oversimplifying, but I feel like the overall tone here is just enthusiasm and pleasure. Like this is written by someone who loves the game and is kind of just sharing that love of the game. I. I I don't know if you'd agree but there there isn't very um he references at, at different points you know a political controversy here or this but that never really feels like no. his primary interest yeah. his main interest yeah. is just cricket is great enjoy yeah. this and i think we're we're yeah all all thumbs up for that so that that was cricketing lives a characterful history from pitch to page by richard thomas available um on kindles uh, from waterstones and from many other places <laughs> Um, and I think we we would suggest that you um, put it on your Christmas list for um, for next year, or just go out and buy yourself a copy 
Christmas is a long way away. Um, so that was the 161st episode of Reverse Scripts Radio. Leave us a review over on iTunes and join us again in another couple of weeks.